Hello there. ourselves to the Jedi. At last, we will have revenge. Hello there. Welcome to a podcast about Star Wars Shatterpoint and the Star Wars universe. My name is Jesse Aiken, and I'm joined by my co-host, Amon Kusro. How are you doing today, Amon? Today is a very exciting day for me, because we get to talk about a character that is very near and dear to me, and mm-hmm. my love for Star Wars. So The hype is real, the dark side is flowing, and I am bracing my emotions for this podcast passion right all the passion that's flowing yeah absolutely i'm gonna have to wait i'm on a little bit for my character my respective characters in this duality of the force on this very podcast being maul and obi-wan it's gonna be some time till we do obi-wan but not terribly long right i mean i just gonna piggyback right off of you and say maul just is one of the coolest villains in all of star wars just straight up is and i love him so we are in a cool space today but there's more discussion than just maul we're back in our character box episode and we are doing kind of like we mentioned last episode, the next box. And we're, we're dubbing these boxes, though it is a core set. But every release after this going forward will be just a box, right, Amon? So it's like we are focusing it around what they've given us in the box and who is together and what squads. So today we're doing Lord Maul, Gar Saxon, Merciless Commander, and the Mandalorian Super Commandos in our character discussion today. And I'm really excited about it. I am equally excited, if not more, if there is such a thing, because... Obviously, we have two of the coolest parts of Star Wars kind of being mixed in here. We have a Sith, red lightsaber, and then we have, of course, Mandalorians, right? And not only are these Mandalorians, but these are very cool-looking, Darth (laughs) Maul-inspired, flavored Mandalorians. I mean, Sith Mandalorians. They look sick, man. I mean, I love that they add the crowns and the horns to their helmets. They go the red and black. I mean, talk about really emulating your liege lord. Absolutely, yeah. This is definitely some medieval house stuff but also i'm on i think all these characters today have a tad bit of leaning into the theatrics they like the theatrics you know they like showcasing their banner to the crowd and being in charge and all this stuff and you know it makes perfect sense because maul's the commander especially this version of maul which is very different from maul in the movies yeah phantom menace maul certainly different character altogether different experiences different power level i would argue Mm -hmm. as well right Mm -hmm. whereas lord maul is a guy who has obviously still embraces the power of the dark side, but isn't necessarily beholden to it. We can start to see him express his individuality, what his interests are outside of his hatred and revenge for Obi-Wan. It's cool. I like it because it's not just like, at last we have revealed ourselves to the Jedi. You know, it's more like, how can I make as much money and power as I can? Oh, absolutely. And we're going to get into a lot of that today in our lore corner with this very character. And, you know, we're also going to hopefully guide you on a path that lets you hopefully get more enjoyment out of playing Maul, Gar Saxon, and the Mandalorian Super Commandos on the table when the game launches. And that's, you know, hopefully all this is just to enrich your experience. So before we get into lore today, Amon, we got some people to thank. That's right. Hello there is supported by Mr. Laser at mr-laser.square.site, your resource for everything Shatterpoint. If you're looking to pre-order the box, including some of the additional accessories that come with the Shatterpoint core box, check them out. In addition to that, ton of pre-orders up. I mean, I don't want to say a ton, but there's Grievous, Luminara, Obi-Wan, Dooku. Very exciting. It's pretty cool, yeah. And good prices. Yeah, great prices and great shipping, like I've mentioned on the previous episodes. And I'm excited about those four expansions right out the gate. That's an awesome 
grouping of expansions. And now that I've read the assembly guides on Dooku, I know that I can put lightning in his hand and I'm all about it. And that's the route I'm going to go. It just simple as that. <laughs> uh, I like that version of Dooku. Yeah, I like it too, though. I just don't know if I will use the lightning because I don't want to paint it there. Yeah. Little OSL and all that. Definitely more work, but we highly recommend Mr. Laser. Of course, we could not do this show without our patrons. So our patrons support us at hello there at patreon.com slash hello there cast. If you enjoy the show, consider supporting us and joining our discord community. We take this time to thank all of our patrons for their support. Absolutely. And we have a ton of new patrons, actually. Very excited, Jesse. I'm continuously genuinely shocked at how much people are loving our content and supporting us and the conversations that we're having in our discord. So at the Padawan and Acolyte level, we have John, In Young, Felix, Zach, and Christopher. I'd like to give a special shout out to Zach. He is my co-host from Path to Glory. It's been really cool to just get his feedback without him actually being in it, because I think sometimes it's hard for sure, you know, to self-criticize without coming off as too critical. And it's been nothing but positive, and it's been super exciting because he himself had expressed doubt in regards to his interest in Shatterpoint, and he said that he is now getting more hyped because we're very easy to listen to. So I'm excited. That's phenomenal. Yeah, it's kind of amazing that we have the support of our co-hosts and our respective projects, which we work very hard with them on. So yeah, it gives me a lot of encouragement. I'm on, not only are we getting the community jumping on early, but we're getting our co-creators working with us, which is really neat. And as you mentioned, we can't thank these people enough because we have so many things we want to do, like we mentioned last couple episodes. And one of those, which is expanding past just this podcast format into a lot of other ways to benefit the community and give you more value and entertainment in your life when it comes to Shatterpoint. When this Patreon fully takes off, like that's that's going to happen. Absolutely. And last but not least, I did want to shout out our Jedi Knight Sith Warrior tier. And we have Dan. Dan the man. We appreciate you. And of course, Amon, we got to get to close out every patron segment with our producer, Kevin. Thank you, Kevin. You're the only producer and get used to hearing Kevin's name. Because Kevin chose to support us in the biggest way very early on, which is absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. And the reason why I love Kevin so much, in addition to that, is that he is a dark side user like myself. That's, that's right. Let's, let's get some balance in this producer slot. Let's get a Jedi to balance the force out. Yeah. The dark side is overwhelming right now. It's okay. It's okay. It's appropriate. We're doing mall today. So It's the rule of cool, man. In addition to the rule of two. I mean, you know. Beat me to it. Beat me to it. Very good. Darth Bane would be pleased. All right, Amon, let's jump into Lord Maul's lore today because I am going to get a quick summary of the character, but something I'm really going to try to do in these lore segments the best I can possibly do. And also the discussion that comes up throughout the episode with the mechanics and the little bits of lore and fluff that come up from that, AMG loves to grab a character in a snapshot in time. So the Ahsoka we have is Jedi No More Ahsoka, right? We talked about this last episode. We talked about how she's the very end of Clone Wars Ahsoka and the Ahsoka that falls right after that. Well, Maul is no different. This is not Darth Maul from The Phantom Menace. This is not even Maul from the early parts of Clone Wars. This is Lord Maul, who has come a long way. So let's talk about Maul's history. So Maul was a force sense of death, Amirians of Brack male. And me and Amon, we should have been rolling mics, Amon, when we were talking off mic about all this Brack and Dathomirian lore because there's a lot of it. And so maybe we'll do that. What's interesting is Maul was found at a very young age by Darth Sidious, Palpatine. Great content in the Darth Plagueis book, if you want to read more about that. But he was found at a very young age in his preteen years and was just trained his entire life to hate the Jedi and to become 
a powerful Sith warrior. And notice I said Sith warrior. He was not a Sith Lord or anything like that. He was in the original canon, a Sith warrior. And then of course, eventually becomes a Sith apprentice, you know, Sidious grants him all this stuff, you know, but Sidious is not a nice guy as we know. So it was a tough journey for Maul and Maul's doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes, assassinations, trainings, but he doesn't reveal himself to the Jedi until episode one. You know, it's been a long time. All that happens. We know what happens to Maul then. He kills a Jedi Master, which is a huge deal for a Sith Apprentice. He kills Master Qui-Gon Jinn, but of course is defeated by Obi-Wan in one-on-one combat. And that was it for a long time, Amon, right? That was it for a long time until George and Dave concocted this idea of Maul coming back. And Maul came back in Clone Wars in a big way. I love his story in Clone Wars because he was at a very low point. He was barely alive. He had the spider legs, right? He was just in this cycle of pure tragedy and hatred, right? Like circling around each other. And eventually he found purpose again. And his purpose was to bring revenge on Obi-Wan, but also to, as Amon mentioned top of the show, gain power and also be free of the Sith as well. At this point, he was basically using the dark side as a tool and he was done dirty by the Sith and the Jedi, you know? And that's how he feels, at least. I mean, Obi-Wan was just defending the queen and and his master and stuff. But we talk about like, this is his worldview, right? He is supposed to be this tragic character. He is based off of like Sisyphus and Greek mythology, where it's like, he's pushing that rock up the hill. And then right when he gets to the top, the rock rolls back down. He starts over, you know, and this is his entire existence. He gets all this power through Clone Wars. He forms the Shadow Collective. He kills a lot of the leaders of these crime syndicate clans, takes over and becomes this powerful figure. Now, the snapshot we have of him in the game is post even some of that. It's when he's at the height of his power and a lot of things happen on Mandalore. I'm not going to spoil all that here, but, you know, dig into that. A lot of cool stuff in the Mandalorian conflict. And he takes over Mandalore, basically. So we have this mall height of his power. As Amon said, he's gotten over this cycle of hatred and dismay and all this stuff, but he still is in this tragic cycle that he has, he doesn't know about, that he's pushing the rock at the top of the hill and it keeps rolling down. But he is the height of his power because he's free of the Sith, and he's also using the dark side to just do what he needs to do to put himself in positions of power and have people serve him. And that's where we get the mall today, which is sitting on the throne of Mandalore, having people like Gar Saxon and the super Mandalorians working for him. And he's like at the top of this civil war conflict on Mandalore. Yes. And I think there's a lot that you said that is really interesting and honestly could be it's an entire episode dedicated to the life of Darth Maul, which is maybe something we can do in the future. Yeah. But what I'd love to just dissect is that my favorite qualities of Darth Maul outside of his physical appearance is the fact that he's a very resilient character, yes. right? Yes. It can be very easily overlooked in the fact that this is someone who has been knocked down his entire life, but he always finds a way to overcome, adapt, and succeed and be successful. But he also has some core character flaws that continually reappear in his life. And it's also a really good example of you must learn from your mistakes because <laughs> if you don't learn from them, you are doomed to repeat them. Right. And that's effectively who Darth Maul is. Someone who, again, starts from the bottom, works his way up, very clever, cunning, strategist, intelligent, powerful, single-minded, driven, focused. And then he gets up to this point where he thinks, all right, I've made it. Right. Right. But that's the hardest part is maintaining the power you've built. And that's where he struggles because he ultimately falls to his hubris. His confidence, his arrogance, his self-confidence is important, right? But too much self-confidence, as Darth Maul will show you, or Lord Maul in this example, is probably something that should be avoided because it leads to you underestimating your opponents, 
losing scenarios or losing power that should have been easily kept, even losing combat. There is no world where Lord Maul should have lost to Ahsoka in a straight up fight. And it's evident in that fight where Ahsoka's breathing heavily and she's like stressed. But I think the problem there is Maul just always thinks he's going to win. And he loves to taunt and gloat. I'm like, dude, just finish her off instead of, you know, talking smack, you know? A lot of it's the dark side way, Amon. I mean, we see pieces of this all throughout the canon. And it's like, most of the time Vader is fighting people one-on-one. He's toying with them, right? And that can get you in some dangerous situations. I mean, even the first time we see a lightsaber fight in Star Wars, it's Vader versus Obi-Wan in a Star Wars New Hope. And Vader is savoring it. He's toying with Obi-Wan for a long time. And Obi-Wan has a different plan that Vader's even know about, you know? Really, he's just buying time and about to become one with the Force and become way more powerful than you can possibly imagine, right? But it's like this whole dark side thing where all our dark side people so far in this game and stuff that we're going to cover, they all got to have a this hubris thing, but it's all different notes, you know? And I'd say Maul's probably one of the higher notes of the hubris because he is so adept. And he's also like, oh, look at where I was and look where I got. And instead of just like enjoying where he's at, He's like, oh, I can go higher. Once again, like I said, that Sisyphus thing, he's rolling the stone right to the top. It's like, dude, just hold it. Like, you're fine. You know, you're there. And then it just rolls right back down. And we even see more of this in the canon, which I'm sure we'll discuss potentially in the future on the show. But, you know, Maul and Rebels is a very different Maul than Maul and Clone Wars because the stone has fallen very far again. And he started over in a different way. But I find the most interesting thing about this Maul, Amon, like kind of the notes we hit on. He is a dark side user. He is a Sith still. But he's not working with the Sith, you know? He's not part of any clubs. And so much so, I mean, he gets an entire group of the Mandalorian culture to work for him, you know? And he pivots. He was Shadow Collective. He was all this scum and villainy stuff. Now he's doing this. And we know in the canon, he goes back to the Shadow Collective during the Solo era, right? So, you know, the guy's resourceful. Yeah. And I think the last thing I'll say on Maul is that he stays true to himself, even Mm. his flaws, right? I think and that's what I like is consistency over the course of you know, his entire arc. Obviously, there's moments of growth, which is important to stay interested in a character. But at the end of the day, Maul is always inherently Maul, whether he is a Sith apprentice, a Dathomirian, a young adult, you know, the head of a crime syndicate, the ruler of Mandalore, or a vengeful specter who is hunting mm. his greatest adversary in his eyes, right? And that is what I find the most compelling about Maul, is you're always going to get Maul and Maul always ends up in situations that only Maul can end up in, but also get himself out of most of the time. That's very good. Very strong points here. Yeah, it's also why we love Star Wars, right? The mythos and the archetypes of Star Wars, the mythological fantasy canon that is Star Wars. You know, it's like characters have their notes to hit in the symphony of the story, and they work, you know, because we love stories in our culture, right? And we love, you know, that someone's going to keep following those patterns because they're really good at what they do and those patterns, and that's definitely Maul. So, that's a quick tidbit on Maul's lore. We're obviously going to get into some more Maul lore in the future, which I'm really excited to do just on this show naturally, because our show is about Maul and Obi-Wan, but also the Mother Talzin, Savaja Press, and Night Sisters box. We will get into some more Maul lore there as well, because that's going to be a fun lore segment that day. Absolutely. And Maul will come up in that. Savage, of course, being Maul's brother. But Amon, now we got to move on to Lord Maul in Shatterpoint. Specifically, you know, we are doing another core set primary character today. I'm very excited to do it in our first instance of the dark side on the podcast in our character box format. So let's just jump right into Maul's stats and abilities. So pretty simply starting off, Maul has eight squad points and a force of three. So we're right on that average of the force we talked about. He has 11 stamina and two durability. 
And his keywords are pretty interesting, Amon. They are Dathomirian, Force User, Scoundrel, and Shadow Collectors. I really like that. I like the fact that he has these additional keywords that can allow him to perhaps synergize with characters in the future. It's also a nice throwback to the fact that he's had these experiences. He's in this point of his life where he's left the Sith Code behind, and he's all about living that gangster life. That's right. He definitely gangster life. What are your thoughts about his stamina? I like the stamina, right? So Maul is certainly someone who is a premier character in the Star Wars mythos, and he is a premier warrior, and so it befits his primary status. And being on 11, which is matching with Anakin, is very exciting to see. The interesting challenge here, though, is that his durability is only two. Now, if you compare his durability to Anakin, who's at three, or even Ahsoka, right, who's at three, Mm -hmm. you start to see the difference. And I think it makes sense from a lore perspective. Yeah. Because he doesn't have his legs. He, maybe he's just not as physically tough as he used to be. Maybe he can't Definitely. take as much punishment. But it is something to take note of, which I do find a little disheartening as a Maul fanboy. Mm. But I can understand why it was done. I guess that's going to lead to a lot of interesting discussions, too, on the show going forward and strategy and these character discussions. But it's also like he has 11, which is like the top end, right, of stamina. But then his durability is lower. And then we have characters that have like eight or nine stamina, but then they have the same or higher durability. Like, what does all that mean in the math? And I know what a lot of means with Maul, because he's got a lot of synergy on his card with damage, taking damage, you know, using that as a resource. So part of it seems like a playtesting thing, but also a big part of Amon definitely makes sense with the lore of the canon. I mean, he's literally missing half of his body. And, uh, you know, he's, he's half droid at this point. I mean, cybernetic legs. Yeah. And I also think it also harkens to Maul's attack style, which is try to eliminate the threat as fast as possible. Yeah. And anytime we've seen Maul get in a contracted fight, he struggles. Yeah. Especially one that just keeps going. Like you said, like he is all gas, no brakes, and he's really good at that. And that typically removes most people in the galaxy, right? And that's worked for him. But when it comes to these one-on-one fights with these Jedi and stuff, they're going to stay longer, right? And that's just kind of how it goes. Very interesting that he beat Qui-Gon of all people who's really good at that very thing. You know, that movie did on Qui-Gon does does not work on Obi-Wan. So, Already, we're in a different space, which I really like a lot because we're talking different stamina and all these keywords, which, you know, it's funny that with just the core set alone, only one of these is coming into play. That's the Force user, right? Like the rest are going to show up more in the future. Dathomirian we know is coming, but then Scoundrel, Shadow Collective, I'm really excited to see synergy with those keywords. And I don't know, I think it's super cool because Maul's going to be a standout from this box because unlike Ahsoka, unlike Anakin with these Republic keywords and stuff he's not really worried about a synergy with his squad he's just going to run through you you know and his squad's going to do fine on their own i agree to a certain extent and i'd like to discuss that i think my thoughts on his play style are actually very different from the other primaries okay and i'd love to i guess let's dissect we'll do that as per usual and then because i do have some hot takes i like holding it we'll cover his play style summary at the end of this like we always do so let's just jump right into his abilities Amon. yes so we start off with a active ability called force speed so very similar to how Ahsoka's work, it costs one force, and each character in this unit, meaning Maul himself, may make a advance. Now, this is really important for, again, many things, many reasons that we listed in the Ahsoka episode, but if you didn't listen to that one because you just wanted to jump straight to Maul, then here's the highs. Obviously, the repositioning ability is amazing. Yes, it costs part of your force resource, but you're going to be able to refund that at least once throughout the course of the game, and getting Maul into combat early is important because that's kind of where he shines, right? And we'll talk about how that functions with his stances in a moment. Secondly, and perhaps equally as importantly, 
is that if Maul ever gets the pinned condition, he can just spend a force, and then in attempting to make the advance, he won't, but then he gets rid of pinned, which means then he can make his regular advance action, which is quite relevant. Yeah, Amon mentioned that in our last episode. I think it's a very helpful thing to know this early on in the game, that force speed is kind of like a great way just to counter pinned. You know, obviously you don't get the benefit of force speed, but you just remove the pen and now you get to do your turn like normal and then you would just move, right? So makes sense all these Jedi characters can get around that, the pen. They're not easily pinned, but Maul especially. And I also like that this is straight off Ahsoka's card. Once again, we have a character that is, like I said last episode, breaking a base rule state of the game, but not be able to double move. Because if it's not implied or understood, you can move with four speed and then you can advance with four speed and then you can advance with an advanced action. I like that he has force speed as well, because like force jump doesn't make sense for him. Like he again is trying to move very quickly. If you look at the way even like fights Obi-Wan right on Tatooine, like it's very just trying to move very quickly and get that spinning motion going, building that momentum. Give me that Sith Apprentice Maul with force jump. There we go. Mm. A whole different Maul yes. entirely. I want Maul on a scooter. There it is. <laughs> just sees a, r- a random boy walking in the desert, says, I should try to run him over. Yeah, with this scooter. Yeah, not one of the reasons why I admire Maul, but I think the, the look is cool for sure. <laughs> That's cool. That's a very cool Sith swoop bike. But moving on with his abilities, Amon, he has another active ability called There's No Place to Run. Costs two force, so definitely more costly. So choose an enemy character within three of Maul. Pull the chosen character range two towards Maul. Then the enemy character gains the exposed special condition. That makes a lot of sense for a lot of reasons. So mm. obviously, you know, there's no place to hide. He's going to bring you out to the open. You'll get exposed. I really like that, personally. It is a very hefty force cost, though. It's force pull, not force push. Exactly. And I think a lot of it is also just the fact that, like, I've cornered you. You might as well come and fight me because there's nowhere else to go, right? That's right. That's right. And I think that's what he likes, is he likes putting his opponents in that position where they kind of have this sense of hopelessness, and he can take advantage of that. Now, obviously, manipulating enemy unit placement is very important in any game period it's quite powerful i like that maul has the ability to do this because you want maul to fight people i think the interesting thing about maul is and you're going to see this is going to be influenced by you know going through the rest of the rules is that i don't think maul is someone that you want to fight other primaries with just gonna throw that out there Ooh, okay that's cool and i'll tell you why i genuinely believe that maul's character kit works best when he's hunting down secondaries and supports That makes sense. Not only does that harken back to the way that the snapshot of him is, where he's just taken out like side characters, like mob bosses and other mandos and stuff like that. I would just say like, it's a good ability. And I think just being able to yank someone off a point is good enough. Yeah. Where it can get you to get that swing in your favor, get closer to your momentum on your scoring tracker. But again, it's expensive, right? Like, and I think that's also makes sense because Maul is dark side user. He's a little bit selfish. So maybe you're going to put more eggs in your basket on Maul's abilities and his turns, whereas maybe you can sacrifice some of your unit efficacy throughout your squad itself, strike forces. But I like it. Movement manipulation is awesome. Putting exposed on someone is great and gives Maul an easier time to beat up on them because they can't use that defensive expertise. Yeah, you can just hopefully cleave through them quicker, but also you can use this, pull someone off a point and then move somewhere else and then attack a different target, right? And just like maybe remove that target. And then now you just kind of basically swung two points on the map, right? In a way, that's pretty powerful in itself. And also I do like that Maul can just force someone hiding into his range to maximize his actions. I'm already getting the vibe from his card, Amon, that he wants to attack as much as he possibly can. 
and run through those lesser characters like you mentioned. So this is a way to do that as well, right? It helps them get action economy, you know? I agree. Action economy is important for Maul and for any primary, really. Mm. And I like the point that you made where he has the ability to swing two points, you know, yank someone off the other one, fight somebody, shove them off. Right. So that's a good use of this ability. The next one is an innate ability called revenge. I must have revenge. (laughs) Yep. When this unit is wounded by a melee attack, after the attack is resolved, each character in this unit may dash and make a five dice melee attack targeting the character that wounded it. Directly paired next to Ahsoka's version of this, hers is you hurt her allies, she gets to move and attack you. His is you wound him, he gets to move and attack you, right? So that's like a quick summary of it, you know, without all the rules minutia, but he's selfish, makes a lot of sense. Also getting him action economy, right? Because if you do attack him, be prepared for him to get some free attacks. I concur. I think it's interesting because like, I I genuinely don't believe Maul is that durable of a fighter, right? We talked about his lower durability overall. But even if his defense dice without peeking to a head, they aren't like super incredible, right? They're average. And so I think there's that double-bladed sword there or saber. Saber. In fact, yeah. Right? <laughs> Where attacking Maul is probably something you want to do, but it lets Maul kind of have his fun and get his swings in because he does feel like such a glass cannon. Five dice is not a lot. It's not consistent. You know, you're hoping for one to two points on a damage tree, but sometimes that can be enough. And maybe sometimes because some of his damage trees start with a shove, maybe that allows you to kind of punish an opponent for attacking Maul, right? Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to see some interesting things in his damage trees, which synergize with this very ability. But closing out his abilities, Amon, he has his identity sustained by rage. Makes perfect sense. It's kept him alive when he was missing half his body. While this unit is not wounded, when it would spend force to use an ability, it may suffer damage equal to the cost of the force for the ability instead. So simply put, you can take a damage to force speed. You can take two damage to use that force pull on there's no place to run. This is very cool, Amon, and we're already starting to see the threads of why his durability is lower, other than the lore aspects of why his durability is lower. Because even when Maul had his legs, I mean, he's all gas, no brakes. It's all just a flurry of damage. You know, he's not a defensive character. He's more ninja, you know? He's like very fast. But what's your first thoughts about the first clause in this before we get to the second part? Yeah, so I really like Sustained by Rage, I think for some of the reasons you mentioned, but it allows from a balanced perspective you to not abuse the fact that you're getting free abilities. There's a reason why these abilities have a force cost. As I mentioned earlier, I do think there is no place to run is a bit expensive. Like two is a lot, right? Right. It's a lot. And now we see why, which is fine. I think it's fair. (laughs) I don't know if I want to damage them all that often. I think maybe in early game, sure, taking that two damage is fine. But keep in mind that it's only two damage. And this directly ties in part with his next clause in the ability that says for every three damage this unit has characters in this unit add one dice to their melee attack rolls for each injured token this unit has characters in this unit add three dice to their attack rolls so if you just use sustained by rage for there's no place to run you don't get that three damage threshold right right? so it's a little unfortunate because i would like if it worked better that way given the fact that he's not going to be on the table as long especially if you're using sustained by rage and maybe he'll be on the table, but he'll just be injured. There's a little bit more finesse, I think, that's required with playing Maul. And I do think that, to a certain extent, they went safer on this. than. And I get that. You don't want a character that's busted out the jump in the core box. But I do feel like with that expensive ability and the lack of synergy on the, the damage, at least initially, in early game, 
it makes it to where I feel like Maul isn't as aggressive or offensively powerful as I was hoping. Fair. He is very offensively powerful late game if your opponent decides to put damage into him. And, you know, I think the quick math here, Amon, is so now he's injured. So he's getting three dice to all of his attack rolls. But let's say you also have put nine damage on him, right? Perfect scenario here. He's on his injured side, two stamina left, right? He's getting a whopping six more dice on all of his attacks. That's insane. I mean, like, that's what they wanted to make with this card and this character, right? Like, this was like something unique they wanted to write in the core set. For sure. But then I would challenge that and say, like, there's diminishing returns at a certain point. Absolutely. Especially when you are injured. Yeah, but also, like, there's only a finite number of damage you can do in the damage tree, right? Right. Like, if I could have unlimited power <laughs> or damage, right? Yeah. By throwing a, a ton of dice, then I think it's more compelling. But at a certain point, I have to figure out where that breakpoint is. And I'm sure someone who's a mathematician yeah. or better with numbers can figure out what's that best threshold for Maul. But for me, I'm also thinking, like, well, if I have a good spike on attack, then I'm going to get through most of the damage tree anyways. Mm. So at one point, am I thinking, like, where do I want Maul to live? And that is probably just taking three damage gotcha yeah right because one die is probably enough in most cases it really just makes him like late game just very consistent with the damage tree really but i get what you're saying it's overkill right but i mean yeah overkill is fine when you know you're gonna always complete the damage tree right? like it just makes your turns different like and they should be different you're already low health i mean but obviously it gets more dangerous for him hurting himself to use the force as well late game so Big downside there. And I love the razor's edge of this glass cannon character, quite honestly, of what they've designed. But I think a lot of it's going to make more sense right now when we jump into his forms. So let's start with, which actually might be a hot take, but my least favorite of the two. Okay. So we'll start with Dark Rage. Dark Rage is Maul in close combat fighting, right? So he has no ranged attack, but he has a defense of five against ranged attacks. Yep. He has a melee defense of five and a melee output of seven attack dice. Now, if we just go to his expertise, it's pretty interesting. If you get one to two expertise, you get to add a critical to your roll and you get a free damage through. Three expertise, crit, regular hit, and damage. And then four expertise is two crits, two damage. That's a lot for damage. It is a lot, but I think it's hard to do. Yeah, of course. And then this is maybe where, again, we have that dice manipulation come into play as he's taking more damage. The likelihood of you rolling more expertise is greater which can offset maybe some of the lower spikes you might see when rolling D8s in general, right? Yeah, and just the thing you said about you're going to probably complete the damage stream no matter what. So maybe it is a good way to look at just more expertise, yeah? Get, yeah? Getting this three or four result would be crazy. Absolutely. And again, yeah, maybe you have taken six damage, you get two extra dice. If one of them hits an expertise trigger, you know, that's solid because you ping a damage and you get that crit, which is in theory unblockable. Right. If we go to Juyo, which is his defensive expertise, this... It's very straightforward. One to two, you get a block. Three, you get a block. You get a jump, which is cool. That is cool. And you get to recover. And then four plus is two blocks, two recovers, and a jump, which can really get him out of dodge and kind of protect a maybe a poor block roll, but a better expertise roll if it's expertise heavy. I like the juxtaposition between blocking and expertise because there are going to be some moments where you're like, I hope I roll an expertise. And there are going to be somewhere like, I hope I just roll blocks in general. And so I think for Dark Rage, it makes a lot of sense. And when Maul is in close combat using that Juyo, I think it makes sense. Yeah, it does. That's super cool. That's definitely double blade lightsaber in action there on defense. But okay, so let's talk about this tree on this close combat form. Come on. So off the bat, you can tell that Maul is not playing games. <laughs> and 
Maul wants to dish out a lot of damage. It's his only way of understanding how to deal with problems is just eliminating them. That's right. Right. So we start with two damage. And this is really fascinating because this is actually probably the most complicated tree we've seen thus far on the podcast. For sure. So you can either go straight or you can go up. It doesn't really matter on this first choice because both of these next landing spots are just two additional damage. So you're four damage, right? You've gone down two paths. Yeah, either way, you're dealing four damage. (laughs) Now, if we take the upper path for now, after the two damage, you get the strain and you get the damage again. And then you get to jump and then you get two damage. And then if you complete the tree overall, it trickles back down into the middle path that gives you a shove. Right. That's cool. It's pretty solid. Yeah, I mean, that's seven damage, which is nuts because strain's a lot of damage too. And then the jump and the shove. So it's a lot of damage and some repositioning. Yes, absolutely. It's what you'd expect, right? From a force user. Yep. Sith Lord, etc. Now, if we stick on the middle path, this is where I think it's a little bit more interesting. So when you get to the third landing spot on the middle path, you actually have the ability to keep going straight or you can go down and branch off to a separate path. This is where you can add some more control elements to Maul. So if we continue down the middle path, we get a shove and a damage, a shove and two damage, and then we end at the same spot as the upper path, which is an additional shove. So in this particular instance, you're doing seven damage, which is the same as the upper tree, but instead of adding conditions and maybe repositioning, you're just blasting someone away. Like, just get out of here. I mean, this is what we see him do to Qui-Gon in episode one. This is where you got Qui-Gon in that corner in the power generator room where he's just, he's coming straight at him and it's just, Qui-Gon's backing up, backing up. You know, it's just the double-bladed lightsaber assault for sure. I like it. And it's good because it does allow potentially Maul to win a 1v1. That's cool. Yeah, because it's a lot of control. Yeah, or at least when I say win, I mean win the point that's being contested. Now, (laughs) if we go back to that third landing spot where it's two damage, two damage, a damage and a shove, we can go down. And this is where I think it's really interesting because I think it is less incentive potentially to go down the bottom than in the middle and the top because your next landing spot is just one damage. So if you compare it to every other fourth spot on the tree, those are two damages where this is one. But then after that, it kind of picks up a little bit. It's two more damage and then two damage and a shove. So I think either way you complete Maul's tree, you're dealing seven damage up top and seven on the bottom, but you do get more on the bottom one. Because that's going to be 10. Yeah, the bottom one we're, we're calling it, it's a mini third tree, right? It's super cool because, as Amon said, you got those first two sections, seven damage. One of them's condition and moving around. One is just pushing them all the way back on the map. This last one is just, I'm giving you 10 damage and you might just evaporate. And that's where the danger and the appeal, the allure of being sustained by rage is important. That's right. I mean, dude, because everything is decided before the damage is applied, right? If you are in a situation where you just are rolling a ton of dice or you get a spike that's enabled because you rolled one to two extra dice and you're like, hmm, I can either do five damage or do this or I can just deal eight to 10 damage. Right. It's pretty nuts. And which leads me to believe that Darth Maul is going to be one of those characters where when he spikes, it's going to be disgusting. Yeah. It is going to be so powerful that your opponent's going to look at you and be like, I can't believe that just happened. It's again, enforcing you to go and play into that sustained by range strategy. Right. But again, I think there's a breaking point where it's like, is it worth taking so much damage on myself to where I just get killed? It's tough. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's really tough. And maybe you let your opponent make that choice, you know, and put the strain on them where it's like, I'm not going to hurt Maul with my force powers, but if you're putting damage into him, well, now I'm playing Maul a little bit differently, right? Because you hurt him. So I'm going to use it. Well, very interesting Amon, we got to move on to his next form, which you said you're more interested in, which is Sinister Cunning. 
Yes, I like Sinister Cunning a lot for a couple of reasons. Let's start with the stats, right? So you get six defense on range and melee, which I think is important because it improves his survivability significantly. Yep. Five to six is a big deal. You get one dice less than Dark Rage when it comes to melee offense. But again, that can be offset by the fact that Sustained by Rage is a thing. You're going to take damage over the course of the game regardless. So at that point, your output in melee efficacy isn't changed by that much. What is the most interesting to me is a range for lightsaber throw. Yeah, he's known he's for He's just this. yeeting that thing around. Yeah, he's known for this. And seven dice on the range attack at range four is pretty impressive. Yeah, like if I can just keep doing what I'm doing at, on the dark rage side, but at range four, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely awesome. You can't do as much on this side, and we'll get to that in a moment. But yeah, I find that very cool, Amon. And I guess while we're here, we got to talk about all these expertises because there's a lot on this side because, you know, once again, we're adding that range element to it as well. Agreed. What's interesting about this particular version of Maul is that he has two different offensive expertises, which is quite compelling. Right. So we have the double-bladed lightsaber, again, which is fairly unchanged. As the melee, yeah. Yep. We go to perfect defense, though. That's where you get interesting. It's just blocks. One to three, two blocks, which is awesome. You, imagine, you roll one expertise, and you get two blocks, which is great. Four plus is three blocks, which, at that point, I think it offsets a little bit. Yeah. But, I mean, you end up getting punished for the fact that you're just rolling too many expertise. I guess the way that force users are blocking is they kind of have to plant right and then do 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 you know yeah. and so yeah his ceiling for defense on this form they're less spiky like they're just solid on this form right really is what it is and you know we like those guarantees especially as competitive players of games like this we like to know okay one expertise and we get two blocks that's pretty awesome like that's consistent i like that a lot but like you said that four up it's more rare we're going to get the three blocks. Interesting enough, the four up on Julia was very rewarding. You know, the two blocks, the two recovers, and like the reposition. So it's the risk versus reward because with Dark Rage, you're very limited. You can only fight in range two. With Sinister Cunning, you can fight at range two or all the way up to range four. Yeah. And also, notably, the Sinister Cunning has just more raw defense dice in general, which is why I like yeah, it. Yeah. Chance of you just getting more expertise is just going to happen. But doubling back a little bit, I'm on this expertise damage results. Being the same on the throne lightsaber on the range attack, I think is super cool because, you know, if you just get like three expertise, which is pretty high, like you said, but I mean, getting hit, crit, and a damage on the throne lightsaber, which is already seven die, that's pretty scary. It is. And now, of course, because sustained by rage only works with melee attacks, it isn't necessarily something that you have to really think about when playing Sinister Cunning Mall. But I appreciate the fact that it doesn't work in that manner because I still think this form is awesome. If we total the amount of damage just this tree can deal, it's incredible. And that's not even counting expertise. So starting out with Sinister Cunning Damage Tree, you start off with a shove and two damage. Then you go to two more damage, but a reposition. Now, this might be the first time that reposition pops up on this podcast. Right. So for holistic purposes, if you're unfamiliar with reposition... It means that the affected character may advance, even if it is engaged with a character from a unit that is not wounded. So generally, when you're fighting or engaged with a character that is not wounded, you can only dash out because there is... The duel's happening. Correct. But this is just move, which is very powerful and allows Maul to maybe get where he needs to go, especially because of the fact that Sinister Cunning is a range four attack. Now, from there, it's pretty much your status condition of choice, right? Yeah, it branches at this third spot slightly, right? Exactly. So you get to pick... Do you want to pin someone? Do you want to expose them? Either way, they're going to take a damage. We're already up to five damage. We're only three spots down the tree. That's right. Then if we get to the fourth space, we get two recovers, which is great because it allows Maul to either remove a condition he has himself or heal or heal an ally. We get to do that twice. Wow. 
and then we get the sixth damage. Then we jump and get the seventh damage, and then we get three more damage. So either way, on both forms of Maul stances, they're dealing 10 damage. It's a lot. It's incredible. I guess that's his goal, right? But I mean, 10 damage from range, that's pretty scary. I mean, you can get yourself in less stuck positions, right? I agree. And I think it's the whole nature of the fact that like, you know, he's helicoptering this lightsaber over to you. Yep. And a lightsaber, whether at range or in your face, is going to hurt the same amount. Absolutely. Especially used by somebody that's this aggressive with their forms. So yeah, I find his trees really compelling, Amon. I even find them more interesting than Ahsoka's and Ahsoka's were really interesting where it's like, they're very different from each other, quite honestly. And I think it's going to reward the player that knows when to switch between the two. I do really love the control nature of the Dark Rage that you can really lean into, whether it's conditions or just shove away, you know? It's like, I do like that, but I get what you're saying. Sinister Cunning is just like safer. Sinister Cunning is safer because it allows you to be able to survive over the course of a game because that one defense dice adds up, just like that one attack dice through sustained by Rage adds up in melee. I feel like I've been fairly transparent in the fact that I don't necessarily think sustained by Rage is that great, at least intentionally. Like over the course of the game, if you're taking damage, it's a nice to have. But very rarely am I going to initiate the sustained by Rage by sacrificing my health pool as a resource instead of using force as a resource. I gotcha. Yeah. It's nice to have the option though, right? The fact that he has both resources as an option does give you choices as a player. Like, Yeah. And that kind of goes into my holistic thoughts about Maul as a whole, right? I think I mentioned earlier, I do think Maul is someone who's not going to want to tango with primaries because I think primaries will, like Anakin, for example, will just beat Maul every single time. Okay. Right. Okay. Like Ahsoka says, you're lucky Anakin didn't come. <laughs> right. And the fact that Ahsoka can go toe to toe with Darth Maul is... Obviously, evidence in canon through the show, but also on the tabletop. Mm. I think Maul likes to hunt secondaries and supports. I think that's where he's going to shine. And that's where he's going to be able to make full use of his kit. And that's probably where he feels the most comfortable, which again, kind of alludes to how he performs in the movies and the shows. I think my biggest challenge with Maul is that you can really tell that they took the safest approach when building him. And again, I really appreciate like making sure that this is the most balanced and tight way that you can compose all the characters in this box. Mm-hmm. But to me, he feels a lot like Thor from MCP, which might elicit some groans if you're listening or a disappointment. But it certainly hurts me just saying that out loud because I love Darth Maul, right? Yeah. He's such an awesome character just in general, whether you like him or not. And they, I think, purposefully designed him to where he doesn't consistently deal a ton of damage, but he has the ability to do so. So again, when he spikes, you're going to have some incredible spikes with Maul, probably some of the best you'll ever see. And it's going to feel really good when those happen. But ultimately, I don't know. Like, if I'm rolling average with Maul all game, I'm not feeling like he's doing what a primary should I do. I got you. And I think that's the trade-off of, maybe that's his design. He's a selfish character rather yep. than a force augmenter. Yep. But Anakin always slaps like a truck. Well, I also think Maul has a higher skill ceiling than the Anakins and stuff of the box. I think that's safe to say. So I think he's certainly be weaker out the gate, but I think as the game goes on, people learn him and really main him a lot, right? Because like a lot of him is choices. The two durability makes it already more pressure on the player to like make the right choices. Yeah, there have been moments where, because you know, you get to switch your stance once per activation. So maybe if I'm in a situation where I have a lot of damage and I'm trying to put some beat down, yeah, I'm going to switch to Dark Rage because I get that extra dice compounded by Sustained by Rage additional dice. But Again, I've had those moments where I'm like, holy crap, I just one shot your character. Yeah. And I've also had those moments where I'm like, I didn't really do anything. And that feels unfortunate. Well, 
Time will tell with Maul. I think he's a very exciting design, but this sort of feast or famine glass cannon character, right? Like he is. And we're obviously going to touch on him more in the future, right? We're just going to talk about Maul a lot. It's going to come up over time. I mean, he is a core set character. He's going to be a basis for this game, right? So I find yeah. it very cool. And obviously you mentioned MCP. The stuff with Hulk is pretty cool too, where it's like Hulk takes more damage. He rolls more dice, right? But I don't think like that's ever should be your goal when you're playing Hulk is like focusing on like how much damage is on me? How many more dice can I get? Like, I think Maul is just a bonus, like a mindset. It's just something where you don't necessarily want to play to that. You just want to play him the best possible way you can. And then as the game progresses, you will get more dice and stuff just through opponents attacking you, damaging yourself with the dark side, you know, to use your force and stuff like that. But it's an, an incredible bonus, quite honestly. But like you said, I think it's really going to shine with the expertise more than anything. I completely agree with that. It's a nice to have, but you're never going to plan for it. And I don't mean to sound so down on Maul. I think I have some high expectations of Maul because I'm very attached to the character yep. and that can color my thoughts, which is, you know, I'm human. But also, I think if I was to objectively look at all four primaries, I do think Maul is the weakest of the four. Now, that might not be saying much, right? Is it 2% weaker? Like, they kind of live all in the same range. But I think from a competitive standpoint, which is where I think about most things, Maul is unfortunately someone that I'll probably think about after I've thought about Ahsoka, Asajj, and Anakin. Fair enough. Yeah, and we're going to get to those characters more in the coming weeks. But Amon, we got to move on to the secondary in this box is Gar Saxon. So lore on Gar Saxon, this guy's a bad guy. He's a bad guy. I'll just say that straight up at the top. I mean, he was a Mandalorian human male who served Maul during the conflict on Mandalore. He later becomes a direct emissary advisory for the Empire when they rule Mandalore after like all the awful stuff that happens to Mandalore, right? So... This guy was prone to be a villain, is what I say. It's interesting because we first see him in Clone Wars, and he's not quite all the way to this point where he is with Maul, like on full dark side, right? But he's always pushing back on a lot of the heroes of Mandalore and stuff. He's always asking questions, and he's an incredible fighter. He's an incredible warrior with hand-to-hand combat and ranged weapons in particular. The snapshot they chose of him in this game is him in this conflict at the end of Clone Wars, where it's more centered around his his prowess and ranged weapons, right? But, you know, he also does bad stuff to Mandalore. So it's like a lot of things he does to the government, to people in power that he removes, you know, that he doesn't like and stuff, sets up the siege from the Empire and the control. What's interesting as it goes on, he becomes a crucial piece of the Empire and he actually serves Palpatine, which is crazy. And so do the super commandos become Imperial super commandos eventually. And they serve the Empire. So... He's got this long path of like kind of pushing back on the Mandalorian stuff, like for his people. He's more warlike, all this stuff, than even Bo-Katan, which we talked about, who was much more warlike in her youth, all the way to he just wants the power. He rides the path where he needs to go, you know, to sustain and stay around. And, uh, you know, played by the amazing Ray Stevens voice. Which which we'll see soon in, in Ahsoka. That's right. But uh, he's just a bad guy. That's how he gets his way through, you know. And it's similar to Maul in that way, but obviously they have extreme differences too. Yeah, I think Gar Saxon is actually a very interesting character study in the fact that if we look at Mandalorian culture as a whole, there is this common theme, or even if you watch Mandalorian, where it's like the strongest are the rulers, right? Right. And so whether it's holding the Darksaber or not, the idea is that the strong lead the way and it's important to follow them. While I think initially he met well, emphasizes the wrong parts about Mandalorian culture or prioritizes them incorrectly. And in that way is that you know, he is an obedient, loyal soldier. That's right. He just has poor judgment because he can't differentiate between power and like what is right. Yeah. And so he 
inadvertently serves two different masters, Darth Maul being the wrong master, but who is clearly very powerful, and then the Empire. And to your point, he eventually does turn his back on his entire culture, but I think that's because he's just like, I live in this whole black and white realm where if they're stronger than me, then I'm obedient because that's the way my culture raised me. And then in turn, if that makes me stronger, then those under me will be obedient to me. And it's sad. He is a bad person, but I think it's just because maybe he took his upbringing too seriously. Yeah. And he also like, yes, that is the Mandalorian way, but he took it to like the full, like 10th degree, you know, he like took it all the way, you know, and we've seen nuances in the Mandalorian culture that don't exist in him. And I think he was just prone for this thought of like, well, authoritarianism is the way. Like that's in his mind. Like that's the way, you know, it's just like someone's in charge and everyone else is subservient to them. And all of his actions show that, you know, and so much so that he goes from being in charge in a lot of ways to serving Palpatine, you know, and being really kind of lowly. It's the changing of the guard for him, like you said, and it is kind of sad. But once again, what are great villains without not like sticking to these ways they view the world and they think is right, you know, and he thinks this is right, even though he's not. Yeah, I think that's what makes me find interest in villains is that you can, if from a certain point of view, they are correct. And if you can just understand their perspective. And so, yeah, he made some bad choices, but I think he's also like back in the day when Mandalore was at the height of its power, we operated in this manner. I don't like where we're heading right now. The empire kind of runs us, you know, how do we get back to there? And in his mind, two plus two should equal four. That's right. So, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And we're going to see a lot of all this on his card. He is a secondary character in the game. He has a point cost of four. And he also has zero force, keeping with that theme. He has nine stamina and a durability of two. So he has the same as Maul on the durability side. And then his keywords are pretty interesting. He has Mandalorian, Shadow Collective, and Super Commando. I find that to be interesting, especially when you compare them to Bo-Katan and Clan Kreese, because they get Death Watch. Right. Very interested to see how Shadow Collective pans out. I'd love to see like a larger Shadow Collective release like they did for Legion. Yeah, that would be super cool, right? Just like really expand into this with Maul and everything. But yeah, his stats are pretty straightforward in that sense. So nine stamina average, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a fair place. Like I think it's a little bit one more than Bo-Katan. It rivals Asajj and Ahsoka. So pretty good, honestly, if you're rivaling yeah. a primary character, right? But like he is a tough, strong Mandalorian. Makes a lot of sense. All right, Amon, let's get right into his abilities because this is always where we find the fun and flavor of these characters. Absolutely. So we're going to start off with a tactic ability. So this is going to be denoted by when you draw this unit in your order deck, it'll be a giant yellow symbol at the top to let you know, hey, before you do anything, use their at the start of this unit's activation ability. So this one is Pride of the Mandalore. Choose another Mandalorian character. The chosen unit may jump, similar to Bo-Katan's, where she has an ability called Pride of Mandalore. It's the same thing. Like you mentioned in that last episode, Amon, it does say another allied Mandalorian character. So you can't just start your turn off and jump yourself. I agree. And I think this is denotes the fact that both of them are commander status. So you go over there. <laughs> Moving on and keeping the similarities with Bo-Katan, we have an active ability called Jetpack costs one force. Each character in this unit may jump, once again, mobility with these Mandalorians. It's a theme. Yes. And keep in mind that when a character uses a jump pack, it's not a move action, right? Gotcha. I think I saw some conversations about that on the interwebs, and I just wanted to clarify that if we didn't clarify the last episode. So perfect. You can jump. Yeah. And once again, this isn't taking an action, right? I mean, I know I mentioned it a lot, but our brains from other 
minis games were always like thinking about different mechanics stuff like you can just use this get in a position perform an attack or something right yes then we have mandalorians are stronger together again the exact same as bo-katan and i think at this point you should probably listen to that episode if you haven't yet yeah. because we do kind of deep dive into that fairly well but to be holistic again after this unit makes a move action it may use this ability so if a character in this unit is within two of another mandalorian character this unit immediately makes it focus action so again not when you use your jetpack but make a move action or a dash or a climb and then if you end up within range two of another mandalorian you get to focus now what's really good about gar saxon he's got another ability that resonates and ties in exactly into this which is i've got you in my sights <laughs> it's innate that's right characters in this unit have sharpshooter too when a character in this unit makes a ranged attack the target does not benefit from cover after this unit makes a focus action it gains a hunker so lots of things to dissect here but when you make a focus action you automatically always get one additional dice into your next melee or range attack but because he has sharpshooter once he benefits from mandalorians are stronger together he's going to get three additional dice <laughs> Because it stacks with sharpshooter. Yep. If you had him with his Mandalorians, like this is all just happening naturally. And yeah, I think we hashed it out pretty good in the last episode of Mon because I kind of tried to hammer it home. I was like, okay, it's very interesting where it's like you're spending the focus and you're improving your melee or your attack. But there's other keywords like sharpshooter and impact, which are like the second part of the focus. It's like, oh, do you have sharpshooter or impact? Well, is this a melee focus or a range focus? We get more benefits. Him getting three additional dice is pretty nuts. And then the fact that he also gains a hunker token after he gets a focus because he's getting down in that sniping position, it's awesome. Yeah, and for those of you unfamiliar, a hunker token gives you cover. So each hunker token, which again, it can stack, a unit has grants that character X number of cover. So if you have two hunker, you get two cover. What does cover do? Plus two dice to your defense rolls. So automatically what you're doing, his car is going to get plus three on offense for the next attack. And then in perpetuity, unless he loses his hunker tokens, he's got plus one defense. Absolutely amazing. In closing out his card, Amon, he has one more innate ability, Pack Hunter. When a character in this unit makes a melee attack targeting an enemy character that is engaged with another allied Mandalorian character, Gar Saxon adds two dice to that attack roll. That's right. Man. Mandalorians are indeed stronger together. And that kind of ties directly into Pack Hunter, right? Yeah. I mean, you're fighting my boy. I'm going to come from behind, take you out. Yeah, it's very much... His lore we just talked about too, right? Where it's like, no, he's in charge. He's looking out for his people, but they are under him. <laughs> but it's like, he's hitting you hard. It's interesting because it's very different from the ability we just read, where it's like, oh, he's real good at shooting, you know? And then now we're like, oh, well, you're engaged with his allies, but he's going to punch you really hard too. So that's that's pretty interesting. So we've talked about, obviously, Gar Saxon right. has a lot of dice that he can throw, but what's he going to do with that dice, Jesse? <laughs> he's got a form called Concentrated Assaults right out the gate. His defenses are lower than I would think, Amon. Yeah, it's interesting because it's like Maul and Ahsoka juxtapose each other. And so Bo-Katan and Gar are doing the exact same thing. And I'm going to be honest here. I think four dice is low. Yeah. And so I think it's rough to be in that position. But I understand that there are secondary characters and they shouldn't be able to be as tanky as primary characters. He's also on the attack all the time. You know what I mean? So like he's less focused on about being like defensive, like, you just mentioned the juxtaposition. It's very clear. Ahsoka's, like I said, reactive on your turn, defensive for her allies, and most the all-gas damage. Bo-Katan's very similar. She hits pretty good in melee, and he hits real good at range. And there's just, there's like interesting, like, 
things that are similar and interesting things that are completely different. I completely agree. And it's very interesting to just kind of take a look at as a whole. Finishing off, though, Gar Saxon's coordinated assault stance card. He's got a range of five on his sniper. First instance. In love the game that. For us so far. So far, yeah, with six dice on attack. And then his melee, which is range two, is seven, which Oof. again, very similar to Bose, right? Yeah. Like they, Mandalorians hit hard in close combat. We've, we've learned. Yeah. I dig it. A bow is also six and seven at range. So very interesting to see the comparisons there. Going through his expertise, yeah. he's got two, very similar to Maul, that he's got two offensive expertise stances where most characters really only have one. We have the Galar 90, which is his sniper mm-hmm. rifle. You roll one expertise, you get a crit because you're sniping. Nice. Two to three, you get a crit and a shove. Four plus expertise, two crits and a shove. Two crits and a shove on a secondary character is a big deal. And I also, you know, like I mentioned last episode, I'm on. I just think it's so cool that the range guns in this game have control in them with pushes. Agreed. Agreed. And it makes sense, right? You get hit by a sniper. It's yeah. gonna, you're going to have to take a step back at That's least right. if it doesn't pierce your armor. And then we got the Westar 35 Blaster Pistol, standard issue Mandalorian pistol here. With expertise of one, you're getting a hit, two to three, crit hit, four plus, two crits, and a damage. Yeah, and just to be clear, just like Bo, Gar is using his pistols as melee weapons. He's hitting you with them, and he's also shooting you with them in in close combat range. So we say the pistol, but it does have that melee symbol next to it. So this is also good stats. Yeah, it's pretty solid. And lastly, Beskar armor, it's pretty good. (laughs) On one to three, two blocks four plus three blocks. I like it. Yeah, really strong, quite honestly, yeah. The fact that you just roll one expertise and you get two blocks is incredible. Now, if we go to the actual damage chart, damage tree, which is probably the most exciting part, very similar theme here with Maul is that we're dealing a lot of damage. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) All right, like we have this ruthless efficacy that's being translated into these damage trees. So we're going to start with two damage, seems familiar. Then we're going to do a jump and a damage. And then this is where this tree splits. Now, again, it's really what your objective is. If you're trying to out-control, you're going to go up. If you're trying to do more damage, you're going to go down. So we'll start with going down, so easier to talk through. You're going to do two damage. You're going to put a strain and a damage, and then you're going to put another additional two damage. So if you follow the entire tree all the way to the end from the damage, it's two, four, six, eight damage with a jump and a strain. And the strain is three more damage. Potentially, yeah. That's a lot of damage ton of damage and it behooves him given the fact that he is a merciless commander and he's got a sniper rifle yeah and i love that this is of course he has one form so it's in his melee and his shooting but also man i love doing these episodes because it's like you're going to frame all of our character episodes discussion going forward we do recommend listening to all of them in order because i think he's going to frame our position of what a damage centric secondary looks like yeah i think bo katan is certainly the more and she's no slouch in combat but she's certainly more augment the squad and yep. the team whereas the theme we're seeing here is more selfish characters right. and selfish isn't necessarily bad in a game where you're trying to deal damage in general no, absolutely not but you did talk about that second part of the tree the path i'm on and you said it's less damage but it does have some control features yeah so you're getting one damage less overall okay. right but you get a shove a pin and a shove that's pretty cool it's pretty cool yeah like you said you can kind of fill out the narrative there of like what they're doing but it's like they're probably getting some cover, they're pinned down, you know, like there's a lot of cool stuff going there. Conditions for sure though. That could just win you a point, right? It really can potentially if if we're getting tight and momentum's coming down and, you know, it can swing either way. Yeah. I mean, taking away the ability for a character to move outside of a force user potentially is very strong and it makes sense. Like snipers pin you. Oh yeah. And I just love that like the theme works too with his 
his melee too. Like he's, he's punching you back, you know, he's pushing you and you, you're pinned now, you know, like it's, it's all good. Like it works both ways. I'm always curious to see with the one form, how they kind of decide to do that. Yeah. Agreed. Well, I'm on that's Gar's tree. So now we got to do our favorite part here. Let's talk about this character summary of how you're going to play Gar. Yeah. It's really interesting to think about. I don't know. I mean, I think like Gar's obviously someone that you want to be at range. Yep. Which is kind of at odds is the whole idea of Mandalorians are stronger together because you want him to be near your Mandos. But as we'll see in a moment, the super commandos are kind of better at being closer up. So obviously the range thing doesn't really matter. Like you're not going to want to just keep him in the back and act like a true sniper in terms of the way the game plays. But looking at his defense dice, it's (laughs) really rough, you know, to keep him alive. So yeah, he does hit hard in melee too. So that's an interesting feature. I mean, like seven dice is respectable, right? So yeah, I feel like Gar will really shine in an environment where he doesn't have to be the main person providing Mandalorians are stronger together. So this can be one of those first instances where we see you building more of a Mandalorian style list. If Bo's in there, she can support Super Commandos and the Clan Krees. Obviously, they can both do it. But Gar, I think, again, that Sharpshooter 2 is so nice. He can really take Mm. out people at range, but he's also very susceptible to close combat. You and I hinted at it in the last episode, and so it's no secret some of the ideas we have for this. But it is kind of funny how it makes sense that you could take the Clan Kreezman does with him and his squad and Super Commandos in Bo's squad and in some ways it's a little bit easier because Bo's like the super support that's kind of tanky she's in the fray with these Super Commandos who are going to be in the fray and the Clan Kreezmandos like to shoot a lot from range so they could be shooting a lot from range with Gar and still keeping his Mandalorians are stronger together together so it's something to think about it's kind of getting our brains turning with like our first instances on the show of talking about like mixing and matching and like you said, this is less mixing and matching. Like This is like not being like, oh, I'm bringing Anakin with B1s. This is like Mandalorian synergy. Intended Mandalorian synergy, too. Right, right. It's all Mandalorian synergy. Yeah. And the reason why I think Bo is just a tad better in okay. combat, even though they have the exact same defensive stats, is because you know she's giving everyone steadfast and protection. Yeah. So she's yeah. within three of herself. So when she's actively fighting for those objectives, she can benefit from that. I think Gar is better that once you've got an objective in a secure zone, you kind of camp there and fire and then okay. apply pressure later if you need to, where Bo might be going and getting those points. Seems good her giving those those keywords to these Mandalorian super commandos. But yeah, I think that's a good spot for Gar. Like he also too seems pretty strong to me early game, right? Because he can shoot a lot while scoring without anyone really in his face, not making that defense a liability and just leaning to all of his strengths, right? with the focuses and the shooting and honestly pushing people away with these sniper shots. Yeah, I mean, you could certainly advance focus off Mandalorians are stronger together. And then maybe if you draw him later or maybe throw him in reserve so that maybe you can contest a far point. Honestly, there could be a scenario in which you could jetpack up as well to give you that little bit of extra range and push your opponent off a point on their side of the board edge that they thought was probably safe. Pretty cool. Yeah. So he's bringing like long range control in an interesting way so i think it's cool and i think that he can do a lot of damage like you said similar to maul slippery slope with his defenses Mm -hmm. so well it's time to move on to those mandalorian super commandos and close this box out so some quick lore on the mandalorian super commandos they're also known as mandalorian traditionalists we talked about that whole feature of gar wanting to keep the old ways he was not interested in some of the things the duchess satine proposed with the pacifist government 
So a bunch of things happened in Clone Wars. Like I said, we're not going <laughs> to hash it out here. You should definitely watch it. But the splitting of Death Watch leads to choosing sides in this conflict. And these Mandalorian super commandos or these Mandalorian traditionalists, they fall on the side of Gar Saxon and Gar Saxon falls on the side of Maul. So they even repaint their armor and get these like horns and stuff Amon's talking about and lean on this side. Also, they chose these colors and, and the horns and stuff just to represent their allegiance to Maul, quite honestly. That's really all it is. And just like making it very clear where they stand after the conflict began with everything. Which makes a lot of sense. And yeah, cool support unit. Very intimidating looking Mandalorians. They look super cool. And I think part of that is obviously the allegiance to Maul, but these are the more warlike individuals from clans coming together to form this martial society and this martial way of life. And so I really respect their ideology. It's really interesting to think about it, though, from a macro perspective, like this whole concept of Mandalorians are stronger together, but you're following a non-Mandalorian, right? You're right. And you're choosing to split and start a civil war. And I think Bo says this in one of the Mandalorian episodes. It's not a spoiler or anything, but she says, our people's biggest problems has always been one another. Right. Like, right. Because she says that no one can actually stand up to the unified might of Mandalore and everyone's being on the same page. Right. It's just the problem is they're never fully unified. So, yes, there's always something in the way. And Gar and his commandos were definitely in the way with this path. But let's talk about these Mandalorian super commandos on their card with their stats and keywords. So, interesting start I'm on with these characters. Four squad points again. So, that's where we're getting that eight total with Gar and these characters. But Eight stamina and two wounds again. Yes. And so we look at, it's really hard again to not make a comparison to the clan Kree's Mandalorians themselves. That's what I'm saying. What does it mean again? Yeah, we're doing this Mando stuff. I'm happy these episodes are back to back, quite honestly. Now there is one difference in that the Mandalorian super commandos have one greater health. And I think that's fine because the idea of them is to be more forward facing troops. It makes sense. They're tougher. They're maybe more aggressive. They like maybe relish the fight and the pain that can take a punch or two, whatever, right? So again, it's very difficult to not make comparisons between the two because also like half their abilities are the same. Right, yeah. So before we continue, just the tags here, Mandalorian, Shadow Collective, Super Commando, and Trooper. And then they share a active ability called Jetpack, cost one force, should sound familiar to you at this point <laughs> because Gar, Bo, and Clan Kreese have the same ability as well as a reactive ability called Mandalorians are stronger together, which we've also discussed on this podcast. So, yeah. so far, so good. Yeah. Jesse, are simple. you liking the fact that there's a lot of redundancy here? I am for the sense of like future proofing the game and also helping people learn the game. But I mean, I also think too, if we see more Mandalorian things in the game, I'm curious where they stay the same with these features and where they deviate. True. It'd be really nice to see, I guess, post Galactic Empire Mandalorians. Right. right. Like the Mandalorian show age mandalorians yes what they would be like yeah absolutely but yeah so it's very simple amount we get the jetpack we get the jump and we get that focus again if they're staying together right now this is where we diverge so we're going to have an innate ability called no mercy when an enemy character that is engaged with one or more characters in this unit advances or dashes after the move is resolved the moving character's unit suffers two damage if the moving character is no longer engaged with one or more characters in this unit you gotta stay and fight them. I like this a lot. I like the punish. Yep. Obviously, again, we, we've discussed they're more combat-oriented Mandalorians. And I think the idea here is you want them to get and tie up a primary, tie up a secondary. They're never going to win that fight. They're there to just be a speed bump, but albeit a good 
strong, hard-hitting speed bump. And what we've seen over the course of this game and, and through just my experiences and talking about it is being able to be maneuverable and jump to point to point and adapt on the fly, especially because struggles are changing the way the map is laid out, is important. And if it's in the mid to late stages of a game, let's say you're even struggle three and you've got super commandos fighting a battered down primary, you might give your opponent a tough choice. Sure, they can finish the super commandos off, but they could lose the game or they could leave the super commandos, take some punishment and then be weaker when they get to that point in terms of defending it. Absolutely. It's very cool. Yeah, I love that they can just tie models up and they have this kind of control just baked into them being engaged. Of course, it's innate, but it's like, oh, we're engaged now. Now I'm putting the onus on you to make decisions, right? Do you really want to get out of, or do you want to stay fighting me? So in a way, in some, kind of some gaming, generic blanket gaming terms, I mean, it's like a taunt, you know, which is pretty interesting. It almost is. Yeah. And I think what's really cool is that if you have them bunched up together, you can kind of force that bubble to be a little tighter or wider so you can give your opponent more leeway or try to force their movement. But what's really fun about this is if you cast a wider net, if you say, where you have one character on one side of the board, the other character on the other side of the board, this kind of does counter the natural synergy of wanting Mandalorians to stick together. But in turn, you can force more difficult decisions and maybe get more ping damage across the board in situations where maybe the map changes on two different points and then they have to try to converge somewhere else. That makes a lot of sense. It's a big amount of points in their favor of like de-splitting up idea you and I talked about early on the show. Is it worth it? Is it not? What times is it worth it? What times is it not? With these characters that have two models on a card. Very interesting. I also think too that we're going to get into more of this in a second when we talk about the box as a whole. But I also think this is a very strong way to, as Mon said, tie up primaries and secondaries. And then you let Gar and Maul go to town on everything else that's untied up, right? Like you essentially remove all their support units with your heavy hitting named units. And I think that's very interesting too. But it gets a little bit better, Amon. These guys have one more innate ability called Victory or Death! Exclamation point. Characters in this unit have Impact 1. So this is our first instance of impact in the show, Amon. That is. So in direct, I guess, reflection of the Clan Kree's Mandalorians, right. who have Sharpshooter 1, impact functions the same way the next time this unit makes a melee attack they'll gain an additional dice if they had focused prior so mandalorians are stronger together you get that focus and then victory or death gives you plus two dice to your melee attack action which bumps it up from a six to an eight yeah absolutely and i love too that the mandalorians thus far in the game you know we only have these four units so far but i love that like there's a lot of cool things going on with keeping them together. And then there's a lot of cool things going on with the focus in general. Like, let's say, you know, you don't even get the free proct focus. These characters just do stuff with focus. And that could mean things in the game in the future if we have other ways to get focus or move focus around or whatever it ends up being. So I find it very cool because Mandalorians are highly trained. And this is kind of a way of showcasing how they're highly trained because when they spend a focus like everybody else does, they get to do something more interesting with it. I agree. And it also maybe demonstrates the different strengths of different clans. Nice. Yeah, very good thought. Yeah. These guys are really good in the melee combat, right? (laughs) You don't want to be tied up with them, and you don't want them to hit you with melee attacks with this impact one. So, yeah, very cool. Uh, We also, too, are going to see that just rewards you putting them in the fray even more, both of these features. I really like the fact that the expertise also helps on the Beskar armor side of things. So, poor rolls should come less often because over the 
course of a game, you should consistently be rolling a decent combination of true blocks and expertise to help you weather the storm. Yeah, perfect. Perfect, Amon. You set us up to go into their stance card. And let's just start off with their stats on their defenses. For ranged attacks, they have a defense of four. And for melee attacks, they have a defense of five. Very nice. And their range attack is a range four, strength of five range attack. And then their melee attack is a strength of six. So very respectable, kind of like wherever you want the stats to be. Yeah, again, and it's direct mirror to the clan crees, where the clan crees are five defense at range and four in melee, whereas these are the complete opposite. And then, of course, clan crees is six and five, with range being the six, whereas the awesome. super commandos are five and six, with six being on. Yeah, they're just exact melee. flips of each other, which is also very cool, too, when you take the context of, once again, the snapshot of these characters at this given time are the very end of Clone Wars, where they're all fighting, right? And they're having the civil war, and it's like, oh, well, that's cool. Yes, and it's fun. And again, it shows that if you're playing them together, you can enjoy the small differences between them, but overall enjoy that strategy. And then obviously, if you have a more aggressive strategy and you want to pair them with an aggressive primary or a ranged primary, you have different options to pick from. Absolutely. Well, Aman, you mentioned expertise, so guide us through that expertise on these characters. Sure. So for defense, we've got Beskar armor. So on a roll of one, you get one block. On a roll of two plus, you get two block, which again is the exact same as the Clan Kree's Mandalorians. Okay. Now, if we go to the Westar 35 blaster pistol, which is their ranged attack, one to three expertise will get you one hit, four plus will get you one hit and damage. That's really interesting because it's different when compared to the Clan Kree's who are more range focused because they're getting crits. But again, I think what we're going to see here is that the super commandos get more benefits with their flamethrowers and melee expertise, which is one to two, they get a crit, and three plus, they get two crits and a shove. They want to punch you in melee, which also is scary because of that focus and the impact. I agree. It's really interesting to see the different tactics that they're using as well from a lore perspective. We have vibroblades from the clan Krees. Yeah. Yeah. The flamethrowers are a lot less honorable, I guess, but it seems like all Mandos have flamethrowers. Yeah. Honor is. Subjective, depend on culture, and Mandalorians certainly follow their honor, good right. or bad. Yeah, the flamethrower hits harder, and once again, very cool, the defense expertise being the same, but their ranged and melees being mirrored respectively is, once again, leaning into these patterns we're noticing with these characters. Agreed. Now, where I think it gets really fun is their damage tree. So there's a lot of options here, and I think it's certainly a little bit more complicated than the way the Clan Kree's Mandalorians are set up. While their damage tree had two different starting points, this one has one, but has the opportunity to branch into potentially three different lines, right? Right. So if we start, and this is called Disruptive Tactics, their stance card. So they're going to start with two damage. Again, theme with Maul, Saxon. Everything starts with two damage. Nice. From there, if we go up, we're going to get a Disarm, which decreases the offensive capacity of enemy units by removing their offensive expertise and a damage. Then we're going to expose them. Then we're going to shove and damage, shove and damage. So if you follow the top tree to completion, you're doing a total of five damage with two different conditions and two shoves. That's pretty good, especially in the melee. Like that's just, you're controlling pieces out, messing them up. Yeah, I like this one a lot because I think, so remember when a character wounds and then they quote unquote flip and they reactivate on the board after they have been injured, they only get to remove one status condition. Right. So by going up on this upper tree, you can place two status conditions, which forces them or another one of their units to recover 
or try to search for that recovery through their own damage tree. Most certainly. Yeah. Also too, I'm noticing a trend in this game of like how good pinned is with a bunch of like pushes in the sense of like, you got to like try to visualize it in your brain and you got to visualize like, well, I gave you a pin. So your movement is an issue for you. Right. But also I moved you a lot on top of that. Right. Which is also annoying, quite honestly. Like it's just frustrating because you, in theory, move them heavily out of position and then pin them. And I think every time you see a tree that has those close together or side by side, like this tree, notable and very interesting. I think that's a very fascinating point that you've made because it's true, right? I'm going to double punish you to a certain extent. Yeah. Not only am I going to move you out of position the first time you attempt to move out of position, which you can to only attempt. Position. Yeah, exactly. And you can only do that once per activation unless you have ways around it. It's very difficult to come around. Yeah, these guys are bullies. And that's just the top. If we go to the middling row, this is where things I find to get a bit interesting because this is the first instance where we're going to see a path in the damage tree abruptly stop. And this is important and useful for a couple of reasons. One, keep in mind, you never have to fully execute the damage tree, right? It's your choice to do so. So you can stop at a certain point anytime you want to. Of course, if there's no path moving forward, then hey, it is what it is. You're kind of stuck there. So in this particular example, when we get to the second stage or branch on the middle damage tree line, what we're going to see is we're going to see strain and a damage. Okay. So up until that point, three damage and a strain. And then from there, you have a choice. So let's say you have a low roll yeah. and you're like, oh, I only got three successes. Okay, well, then this makes it really easy because this branch that happens going downward, there's only one spot there. It doesn't continue. Even if you got five successes and you chose that spot, you end at three. And what that does, it gives you a jump and a damage. And the way that I like to visualize this is they did what they needed to do and then they got out of there, yep. right? Yep. They could have could have pushed the advantage, but they didn't because for whatever reason, they wanted to reposition themselves. Mm-hmm. So keep that in mind is that is an option for you, like a free get out of jail free card in some instances, if you're trying to get out of, you know, combat. It's just three steps though, which is our, so far on the show, the shortest little path we've seen of a character, just like three steps, like mm-hmm. two damage, damage and a strain, damage and a jump, you're done. Agreed. Yeah. And I think again, it's very interesting because it demands choices from you. Yeah. Right. Like if you want to get away, you're going to have to sacrifice offensive output. Let's say you got a great role. But the objective of the game is trying to win the game through scoring points. And so if it means you need to get out of there to maybe go to another point or whatever, then you might have to give up, just like in combat, the opportunity to maybe take out an enemy in order to win the day. Love it. I love that. Now, if we don't take that bottom route with the jump and the damage, what we're going to do then is just continue moving forward. And this is just where you want to put the hurt on your opponent. (laughs) You're going to get three different tiles. And all of those squares or tiles or places as whatever you would like to call them, total and four damage. Yep. Which would give you this entire middle path, seven damage with, with a strain as well, which is potentially more damage. Yeah. It's a lot for a support unit. It is. But again, I think this is kind of what the way that AMG wants us to play this game is if you're going to spike on any character, whether they be a primary, a secondary or a support, something bad is going to happen to their target. Nice. Yeah. They're going to get their combo off. Absolutely. And that's what's fun is because I think one of the beauties of Star Wars, and this might be a bit too meta for this conversation, but who cares, is that (laughs) any person when called to action has their own shatter point, right? Can -hmm. step up and do what they need to do and change the next series of events, whether it's just for one battle or, you know, in some cases like Anakin and Obi-Wan, like the course of history, right? The idea of a random super commando just having a good day, putting on some hurt and maybe winning a game for you. Yeah, man. It's all about those shatter points. Absolutely. And the smallest individual in Star Wars can like change the course of the entire galaxy, you know, it's like 
if Leia never met Wicket, we'd still be under that rule of the Empire, you know? Those Ewoks showing up, showing up. Ewoks showed up. Honestly, as much as I like to give this character, you know, a little grief, Jar Jar. Yep. You know, even Grogu didn't really do much, but, well, he kind of does now, but. He does none. <laughs> yeah. In the beginning, he was just like, man. Shout out to the Ewoks and Jar Jar out there. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's it for these characters. Like that's their full stance card. I think the coolest takeaway this I'm on is like they can go this top path that's control. They go this middle path that's just a ton of damage. Or they can go this short mini bottom path, which is just an offshoot, which is a little bit of damage, good amount of damage, honestly, and then the jump away in theory. So a lot of options with these characters. And uh, I don't know, I think like reading these damage trees is so exciting on the podcast because you can kind of visualize what they're going to play. But I think this is even more exciting on the table. And you and I found this out with our proxy games where it's just like seeing these combinations and making the right choice. Should I go the top tree? Should I go the middle? Should I go the bottom? Really, it puts a lot of like onus on the pilot and knowing what to do. And I think that's what's interesting is because you're not going to know exactly what to do the first three or four times you play these super commandos. It's going to take some time, you know? You're going to need to see some, some results and choose some paths correctly and figure that out. What I've actually found the most interesting or fun to play is taking Bo with the super commandos. Yeah, because she is this mobile super support, right? For all of her troops around her. And she kind of wants to be in the fray. So this makes a lot of sense, Amon. But let's dive into this a little bit more. I think the bubble that she creates is pretty compelling, if only because... It's almost like a natural synergy. These guys want to fight. They want to be in the thick of it. She wants to be near them. She wants to support them. She's pretty strong in close combat with seven dice. And when you have that, some of us serve a higher purpose. Now you're giving these fighters, right? I think one of the most efficient ways to knock people off points is shoves. But then you give them protection. You give them steadfast. And now they're tanky. And then now they hang out as a unit. So you might have like a, for lack of maybe a gaming term here, a Death Star. These characters who just kind of roll up. And, you know, kind of just tank a point or they could, I think the three of them, when I say the three of them, I mean like Bo and the Super Commandos, those two units can take down, in my opinion, any other combination of secondary and support we've seen thus far. Nice. And in some cases, maybe even take out a primary. Yeah. And you're kind of, you're jumping right on some of the things we're going to say in this very segment, because now we are in this box summary. Is this the best support unit in the core box? That's a tough question. It is a tough question. I think in conjunction with you saying Bo possibly might be the best secondary in the game, I think Bo with these makes them the best support unit in the box. That's fair. I can agree with that. Since everything's out in the open and we know what supporting characters and units are in the box, I don't think B1s are in that conversation because I think they have, and we'll talk about this later, strong synergy with Kalani. In terms of what the 501st can do, just looking at their stats, yeah. It's not bad. Solid. I think they're very comparable to Clan Kree. So yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe Super Commandos are the strongest. I would probably pick between, I would say the 501st, Clan Krees, and Super Commandos are very tight within one another. Yeah. But sure, I could give the edge, the slightest edge to the Super Commandos if they're with Bo-Katan. I do think overall, there is an argument that could be made that Clan Krees might just be the most well-rounded supporting unit. Got it. Yep. Makes perfect sense. <laughs> Let's talk about how you could run Clan Krees with Gar. That's an interesting one because I feel like they work together well because they want to be on a point yep. that's bothering another point. Yep. Shooting across. Exactly. So think of like a B map in MCP. Exactly. So the Super Commandos and Bo in this example or this scenario we've created might be trying to wrest points away that are within reach. They're invading 
the opponent's half of the board, right? Yeah, they're actively invading. I would say Clan Crees and Gar would be proactively denying yep. units from trying to attempt to capture points. And with Gar's case, maybe try to sneak a point in terms of like the net gain for your opponent, lower that a little bit. Yeah, because if you have Gar and the Clan Crees and they've got this sort of this gunline box, right, and they're still scoring you points, then your opponent's trying to walk into the box and they're being pushed back by the shots or they're being, you know, wounded by the range shots and stuff. You're still scoring and they're not, right? Or you're at least slowing them down on scoring, right? So I find that very interesting. It's just so funny and cool, just quite honestly cool, that these secondaries and supports can be mixed and matched in these different ways we're talking about right now. And yeah, Mandalorian Synergy. And what's really interesting about this whole concept is you don't have to stand on an objective to consistently score it. Right. So like Clan Kreese and Gar can just get their points and then they can kind of play in this mid-range where it's in between the home objectives and the midline objectives. Or at most case, get aggressive just enough to where they're contesting, maybe like the weak side of an objective board where- That's pretty cool. And then kind of continue to fire support, but then deter maybe someone trying to come and take that point. So there's there's so much yeah, there's stuff so going much. on. So many cool ways. Obviously, it's going to be unique in every game. And one thing I really liked about what you said about this fun mixing and matching of Mandalorians is imagine what's going to happen when we get clone troopers with Obi-Wan, clone troopers with Luminara, clone troopers with Mace Windu. That's right. You know, Mix and match your clone trooper synergies. Yeah. And one would assume you could say the same for battle droids and separatist keywords. So I like that they're laying the groundwork with this stuff with like just these first little sets. But like you said, it is funny that the core set is actually on a competitive gamer side, the strongest out the gate for Mandalorian synergy and just plug and play. It's just when you keep stacking them, it keeps giving you more returns, right? With these characters. Agreed. Like if this box had like Darth Maul from Phantom Menace with droids, yeah. then you would see like Kalani, Asajj, Darth Maul, whatever droids. Right. You know, maybe you could have the, what's it called? The probe droid with Darth Maul. That could be cool. Oh, Sith probe you know? droids. That's right. Yeah. And then you could have some fun doing all this crazy stuff. But obviously I think they picked Mandalorians. And, and this is really interesting because if you look at the MCP core box, they just picked all the coolest characters and the most popular characters, right? And they that's threw true. them in the box. And that's what you're doing with Shatterpoint. From a marketing perspective, as a business, it makes a lot of sense. What do people love? Jedi, Sith. Great. What else do they love? Mandalorians. Great. Those are the probably the biggest sellers for Disney and Star Wars, right? At the moment, yeah. And then you throw in the clone troopers and the battle droids for you know cohesiveness and you've got like a banging start box. Starting box is real good. <laughs> and speaking of boxes, man, let's like talk about the last little bit of this box. So we've talked about these three units. We've talked about how they play individually. We've even talked about the Mandalorian Super Commandos, how they play as a greater whole. How do you think like Maul and Gar fit into this group? Like all three of these units together. Yes. Again, I think it's really interesting the fact that they're also damage oriented. Yes. And so the theme in this box is aggression. To be fair, swift aggression, because they all have the ability to be quite maneuverable. Very cool. What I like about this box in particular is these units have a theme of almost wanting to hunt down enemy characters. I really do believe, and this is honestly, this call this my hot take, right? Which I've said a couple of times now. Maul is best served when hunting down other secondaries and supporting units. Yeah. He's going to have a field day with them. And it also, what it does is it allows you to offset some of those lower spikes that he might see over the course of the natural game, because there's a lot less that he maybe has to get through, right? Okay. What Gar and the Super Commandos do in assisting with that is they can bully other secondary and supports as well. We talked about Super Commandos potentially being the strongest supporting unit in the box, and Gar having this ability to 
control. So run up there with Maul, maybe hunt down your targets. Super Commandos are out there either punching harder than other supporting units or maybe in some cases punching above their weight class to tie up secondary and maybe even primaries with additional support. Yep. And then Gar is just being a nuisance, right? Absolutely. Yeah. No, it makes a lot of sense. And I like your take with the swift aggression because they are a lot of like glass cannony, do a lot of damage, get out sort of things. And it's funny that like Gar and Maul's defenses are so low, but their damage is so high. And so that is going to be a touchstone of the playstyle of this group that you're just going to have to get used to, quite honestly. And if you like aggro lists and games and stuff, you know, this might be the group for you. Yeah. And I think if you have a really good strategy of like, my goal is to win struggle one and two. Yeah. I'm not even going to let their get to struggle three, which you will probably want to take a more aggressive and fast list. And, and this is a strike team that can do that. I would caution that sentiment with saying, try to explore the other side of the box as well in terms of like more defensive characters, because if you're playing a player who's better than you, or at least of equal skill level, then you're probably going to run into struggle three. And then there, you're probably going to want to rely on the characters who have been able to survive so far. Now, there is this conversation to be said, like, well, if they die early, then they flip early. So that means they'll be at full health later in the game. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's another whole conversation we could have in theory, which we probably will at some point. But over here, I don't want my supporting unit and my secondary unit, especially, to go down somewhere between struggle one and struggle two. Good point. Yeah. Because then you're just out of gas, right? Yeah. Especially if you draw them early, right? Whereas, because if they go down and then you draw them, they reactivate. So there's just a lot to consider in terms of a strategic competitive standpoint. But again, this episode isn't designed just for competitive play. We really want to stress that we're just trying to help you understand these characters better and figure out what you're doing with them. I unfortunately have a hard time delineating between the two, <laughs> but I'm trying. I'll keep you in check, Amon, for sure. I appreciate it. You that. and I are different types of competitive, but competitive is definitely there. But think of it last listener is us trying to make it like this competitive discussion because it's more just like, how do you play these characters most effectively? And how does that apply to your games at home? Are your games at home preparing for a major event? Are your games at home, you know, drinking your favorite beverage with your best friend and, you know, slinging some dice, right? So these episodes are always intended to be an evergreen resource for all players of all skill types. It's just fun to do this last segment of mine and give our, our quick takes on how we think the box is going to play as a whole. And, you know, what's super cool about the boxes like this as a whole, you could change out one secondary, one support, one primary, whatever it may be in the future. And the whole flavor and feel of this could change, right? You could swap Maul for someone else that's coming down further the line, maybe. And yeah, the, hopefully this tenets of this episode will apply, but also it's going to be different, which I think is one of the coolest features of the game. The boxes are plug and play, but then you can get creative after that point. Agreed. Yeah. All right. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed this box episode and we got to move to our outro here and discuss all the places you can find us. Yes, but before we do that, Hello There is supported by our wonderful patrons. You can become a Hello There patron by going to patreon.com slash hellotherecast. That's right, and we are starting to launch the bonus feed. we got some stuff in the works, which is great, because the Patreon took off right away, which is phenomenal. So the bonus episodes for those Jedi Knight and Sith Warriors is going to start being up, and it's going to be a lot of Amon and I just rolling mics, talking Star Wars, talking Shatterpoint, talking competitive, talking casual, you know all of it. So stay tuned for that. If you just want to join our private Discord community, definitely check out the Patreon tiers. Of course, you can find us online. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and Twitch, all at the same place. Hello there, cast. Email us at hellotherecast at gmail.com and leave us reviews on your podcast platform of choice. It truly helps us out. Though, with the world being the way it is, 
Spotify and Apple Podcasts matter the most. So if you have one of those and you leave us a review on there, that'd really mean a lot to us. Yeah, it's pick the dark or light side. I'll leave it up to you to choose whichever podcast is the light or dark side. In addition to that, I'd like to give a quick shout out to Low Fuel as well for our show's music. I know that Jesse and him work together on that. So shout out to him. Yeah, it's fun every time. Absolutely. Of course, you can find me and Amon different places online. You can find me, Jesse, on Twitter, Instagram, and Longshanks. Hopefully, Shatterpoint gets out of Longshanks. It's like one of my deepest prayers every night. At Jesse Aiken. That's just J-S-S-E-E-A-K-I-N. And of course, I'm the host of Fury's Finest, a Marvel Crisis Protocol podcast that delves into everything Marvel Crisis Protocol by this wonderful company, AMG, and also everything Marvel Universe with the MCU and comics. Amon, where can everyone find you? Yep. You can follow me on Twitter at Amon the Wargamer. You can also reach out to me on Discord. On most Shatterpoint areas, I am Amon, comma, Dark Jedi. And then, of course, I run Path to Glory, the Warhammer Underworlds podcast that focuses on competitive gaming, player development, and community growth. Awesome. Well, that's where you guys can find us. Do not hesitate to reach out if you have any questions about the game or, you know, just the podcast and stuff. We're still in the beginning of this and really excited to help build this community. Well, I'm on. First Dark Side episode in the back. I can feel the rage flowing. All that damage. Yeah. So we hope you guys have enjoyed this session and we'll keep on this corset box path. We hope you guys will continue to join us on it. And I'm really looking forward to these coming episodes, I'm on most certainly. But until next time, may the force be with you. There is no place to run. Revenge. I must have my revenge. Revenge.